One, two, three, four. Screen time! Screen time! Screen time! Screen time! Screen time. It's my screen time too. And welcome to It's My Screen Time 2, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming. From Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters. We watch, you listen. Find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I am Deborah, and I have three kids, ages nine and a half, Tony and... And six and a half, Libby and Nate. And I'm Katie. I have two kids, ages four, Jay, and one, Kenny. Our kids are pretty darn adorable, aren't they? They sure are, Katie. (laughs) So this is the part in our episode where we like to get a quick story about how awesome or occasionally awful our kids are over with so we can focus on the actual content of the podcast because in addition to being witty and incisive pop culture consumers we're moms too guys so deborah have your kids done anything particularly awesome this week uh this is a twin problem libby has like three super wiggly hanging by the thread teeth Mm -hmm. and nate has no wiggly teeth oh so it's like, I feel really excited for Libby. She can't wait till these teeth fall out. She's super pumped for the tooth fairy to come. But robbing her of her joy is Nate, who I also feel sorry for because he feels like he's behind. Oh, well, I'm excited for Libby, but sad for Nate. So last week was Hurricane Dorian week in Florida, and we were... Luckily, spared really any hurricane damage, but we were very prepared, like work and school were mostly off for the entire week. And we kept telling Jay that it was going to be like a hurricane party, you know, we are going to have candlelight and flashlights and we are going to play Uno and go fish and it was going to be really fun. And then we also had this weird mindset of scarcity where it kind of felt like we had to watch all the TV we could in preparation for there being no power. (laughs) So then when nothing happened and we lost power for like a grand total of 30 seconds the entire week, we were just like collectively a family of dead-eyed TV zombies. But I did teach them how to play Uno, so at least there's that. Oh, that's such a good way to prepare him for what might happen. (laughs) And I love your positive spin on it. Well, when it's something that happens or almost happens as often as it does here, you just, I mean, you can't freak him out every time, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. What's the tornado frequency where you guys are? Like, do you have to deal with tornado warnings? I'm going to call it a tornado party should it ever happen. Which I hope it does not. Yeah, I hope it doesn't too. I I hope you never (laughs) get to have a tornado party. Because you can just teach your kids to play Uno without a natural disaster. So summer is officially over, you guys. We're practically midway through December at this... December? Yeah. Mm -hmm. September at this point. 
And that means that we are gearing up for fall TV season. I know that we live in a streaming world where new shows are dropping all the time, but that doesn't mean we can't get excited about the bounty the fall has to offer us. We've both read quite a few articles over the past couple of weeks about upcoming fall shows, and we thought we would take just a little second to talk about what we're excited about. Deborah, what new kids show are you most excited about watching? I think I'm really excited about The Last Kids on Earth, which premieres on Netflix later this month. It's a based on some graphic novels that Tony has read, and mm-hmm. so he's really excited about it too. I haven't read the book, so I'm not quite sure what to expect. It looks possibly scary, but we're definitely going to put that one on our watch list. So is it like post-apocalypse for tweens? I guess. Okay. I think that's a good way of describing it, yeah. All right. I'll reserve judgment. I feel like my tolerance for post-apocalyptic television and movies has waned, but uh, maybe the fact that it's for kids will renew the genre for me. I am obviously very excited for The Dark Crystal. It has a lot of elements that are Katie Catnip. Um, Mm -hmm. It is a prequel to a movie I loved as a child. It is done with actual wonderfully intricate puppets instead of computer animation, which you know I love that. So I'm really looking forward to watching it. It's already out on Netflix now, and I hope we will cover it for the the show. Let's do it. (laughs) What grown-up show are you most excited about? Okay, Hulu is premiering a dramatization of the Wu-Tang Clan origin story. It's called Wu-Tang and American Saga. Mm -hmm. I think that looks super good. Also, (laughs) there is a show starring Bradley Whitford, remember from West Wing, Mm -hmm. and the University of Wisconsin-Madison, of which all three of us are alums. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. This is on NBC, so that gives me a little pause because network television is not usually as good. Mm-hmm. But it's called Perfect Harmony. He stars a former Princeton University music professor who decides to help a small town choir pull together more than their vocal harmonies. Doesn't that sound amazing? Yeah, it's like Mr. Holland's opus starring Bradley Whitford. I'm kind of on board with it. Totally. How about you? What adult shows are you looking forward to? One of these, I'm not actually sure if it qualifies as an adult show or if it's another kid's show, but they are doing a series based on Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials trilogy. Did you read that? I did not. Did you see the movie that was made in the early aughts called The Golden Compass? Oh, I remember when that came out, but I never watched it. Okay, so... The movie was fine, but it did not go anywhere for various reasons. So they didn't make movies out of the other two books, but now they're revisiting it and making this series. Lots of, you know, A-list actors that I'm excited about seeing. Lin-Manuel Miranda is in it. There are witches and armored bears and talking animals and all sorts of great things, but then also darker themes about the existence of God and original sin and the role the church plays in our lives. And it, I'm just really looking forward to revisiting this world and seeing it get the adaptation it deserves. 
That sounds heavy. It's a set of YA-ish novels, but tackling some really heavy themes. So that's why it kind of straddles the grown-up and kid television. The other grown-up show is not exactly a fall show because it's already premiered, but I wanted to talk a little bit about Carnival Row. Have you heard of this show? Mm -mm, No. It's on Amazon Prime. It is a dark steampunky fantasy starring of all people Orlando Bloom did you remember he existed Mm, I haven't thought about him in a long long time I know I certainly (laughs) hadn't before coming across the show and the premise sounds a little eye-rolly it's like a human man works with a fairy to like catch some sort of demon but the look of the show is just so wonderfully dark and gritty and beautifully grounded in a way that you wouldn't expect a story about fairies to be. (laughs) (laughs) So I've watched a couple episodes. I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Uh, I'm excited to see where the season goes. Listeners, tell us what you're excited about and what you're enjoying this fall. Yeah, if you have recommendations, things that you'd like to hear us talk about so you have an excuse to watch them, we're happy to do it. Yeah, kids shows or adult shows, we would love to hear from you. So to follow up from uh, some of our summertime episodes, tell me what you recently watched, Katie. Oh my gosh, we finally watched Aladdin because as I've mentioned before, we can't see movies until they've come out as rentable properties. We, so we finally watched the new live action Aladdin with Will Smith. And I know you saw it pretty early in the summer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we saw it in July, I think. It was fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everything you said about Will Smith being like perfectly charismatic as the genie. And uh, he didn't do anything to tarnish the legacy of Robin Williams. So I quite enjoyed that I thought that both Aladdin and Jasmine were perfectly blah I thought that Jafar wasn't very scary in the cartoon he's like very tall and physically intimidating and Mm -hmm. in the live action movie he was you know just pretty much everyone else's height he didn't really strike fear into my heart in the same way okay I'm Glad that you enjoyed it an average amount. (laughs) Yes. Thumbs midway from Katie. (laughs) So let's move on to what we're reviewing today. Molly from Denali. Oh, is it Molly from Denali or Molly of Denali? I wrote it both ways on the doc. I think it's Molly from Denali. Okay. Molly from Denali. Right? Yeah, now I'll have that stuck in my head all day. Very catchy. Okay, so Molly from Denali is a PBS Kids show. It premiered in July of 2019. It follows 10-year-old Molly, an Alaskan native who lives in Denali where her parents run the Denali Trading Post. And she has a vlog. So she addresses the audience in this vlog. It is, in fact, the first national children's show to ever feature an Alaskan native in a lead role. The producers who are from Boston involved more than 60 people who are Alaska native first nations or indigenous in the production of the show from script writing to voice acting. And that's what the New York times uh, article about it covered on July 15th. You can watch 
full episodes on the PBS Kids app. You can also see it on PBS. I wasn't able to get it on demand. I had to record the shows before I could watch it. Same. So like slight hassle (laughs) to get it on your TV. And we picked it because, oh my gosh, we watched so much YouTube. It's a relief to be back to something scripted Mm -hmm. and professionally produced. NPR had a story earlier in the summer about this and a couple of other shows. And the theme of the story was expanded representation in children's programming. Mm -hmm. I thought that this sounded amazing. We both read articles about it and we were both really excited to watch an inclusive show. Mm -hmm. So we watched three episodes. I'm going to give their titles because the numbers didn't line up with what was on my cable. Grandpa's Drum slash Have Canoe Will Paddle, Cabbagezilla slash Name Game, and then the last one we watched was Bird in Hand slash Bye Bye Birdie. So we'll go through the episodes one by one and then move on to our more general thoughts. I don't know if I can summarize Grandpa's Drum without crying. Oh my god, I know. I know, right? This is just off the bat a perfect example of why it's so important to have more inclusive stories for kids because this does such a great job of integrating a really painful period in the history of Native peoples into the plot of a kid's show in a way that is not overwhelming but treats it with the gravity that it deserves. So Molly and her best friend, his name is Tui, right? They're preparing to sing in a local concert and they ask Molly's grandfather to sing with them. And he explains that since he gave his drum away, he has lost all his songs with it. So Molly really wants to encourage her grandfather to sing again. So they find an old photo of him with a little girl and he is playing a drum and they are singing together. They take it upon themselves to find this girl who he gave the drum to and get his drum back. They are able to recognize the landscape around her grandfather in the photo by the shape of the mountains. They do some creative online searching to find the town and... I don't remember who tells them this, if it was Molly's mom or dad. They asked why her grandpa was in that town with the little girl, and her parents explained that Native peoples were taken away from their homes, children, and made to speak English and not tell any of their Native stories or play any of their Native instruments, and that that was a really sad time and they're happy to live now because they can appreciate their traditions again. So Molly and Tui go to this town and they find the girl from the picture and she gives the drum back and they bring the drum back for the concert and give it to grandpa and he sings with them. It is very moving. I cried. Um, But then the second half of the episode was much more upbeat. It was called Have Canoe Will Paddle and Molly and her friends enter a canoe race with really very little idea of how to even paddle a canoe. And through asking people in town, they end up being trained by a former Olympian canoe racer, but they break their canoe on the last day of practice before the race. So a man from town came to their rescue and donated a native canoe he was working on for them to use in the race. And Molly expresses how connected to her 
ancestors she feels when she's racing in a traditional canoe. Deborah, what did you think of this first batch of episodes? Okay, I just wanted to correct myself. It is Molly of Denali. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, guys. I loved it. I cried in that first episode. It was such a great episode and it like touched on really heavy topics of colonialism and treatment of indigenous people and keeping traditions and it was so well done I thought it was great agreed and of course like I love the I love the information literacy components Mm -hmm. when they're learning to canoe their first step is the library (laughs) which I I mean, for like, it's like this show is like made for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> to give it five stars. It would appear that the father of one of Molly's best friends is the town librarian. <laughs> Love <Yes>. it. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that the coach was like a very Jane Lynch Ian persona. She was kind of fun. Yeah, uh, she was brash, coach. and she also had short hair. And I thought the kids were, like, super likable. It's a fun premise for a show. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, agreed. This was a great start. I was thinking that it was missing cute animals. So I was happy that in the next episode we watched, <laughs> there, were so, there was some animal life. So we watched Cabbagezilla and Name Game. And Cabbagezilla, Molly's friend, plans to enter a ginormous cabbage in the Alaska State Fair competition, <laughs> vegetable growing competition. But she it has to keep a moose out of her garden. So she and Molly like research different ways to protect the garden from a moose. And they get in touch with this master gardener who also gardens in Alaska and has won the vegetable growing competition. And they build a fence, uh, they tie things to the fence, they stay up all night. Turns out it was not a moose who was eating the cabbage, it was bunnies nibbling the cabbage leaves. So totally fulfilled my wish for cute animals. (laughs) And then in the name game, Molly's great aunt comes to visit and she's a little bit scary because she's not super warm. And the great aunt calls Molly's mom by her native name. And so Molly begins to learn everybody in the whole town has a native name. And she compiles a book about them. And then the scary aunt becomes not so scary. And she bestows a name to Molly. And they have a name day celebration at the library. (laughs) And Molly's native name is one who informs us. The thing that tickled me the most about this episode is that all the adults in town have native names and they are all somehow descriptive of their personalities except Molly's dad and they're just like well he's got a really big chin (laughs) (laughs) everyone's very proud of what their native name says about them and Molly's dad he's so good spirited about it but (laughs) (laughs) but again a sweet story about tradition and the importance it plays to bring a community together it was really I thought very good and Cabbagezilla was fun Mm -hmm. and also like Alaska the Alaska the place is kind of like a character in this show and so you get to learn fun things about Alaska like in Alaska because the sun never sets in the (laughs) summer their vegetables grow super big (laughs) 
the cabbage weighed like a hundred pounds. Yeah, that never occurred to me. Did it occur to you? I have a friend, like an old college friend who lived in Alaska for a while mm-hmm. and gardened. So I was aware that they have like a really short but very productive growing season. Are you much of a gardener? Not at all. Yeah, neither am I. I would love to garden vegetables, though. I'm not so into flowers. I like to buy vegetables at the (laughs) farmer's market. (laughs) All right, moving on. In the third episode we watched, the first segment was called Bird in Hand, and Molly and her friend Tui really have to go to the bathroom, so they go to the bathroom that's in the laundry room of the bunkhouse at the trading post and just as they're about to go in they hear this weird sound this like moaning sound and they are sure that it's a ghost and they're very scared (laughs) come to find out that it's actually a little owl that has nested in the dryer vent because it's was it living in a tree that was cut down right That's what they thought. They help the owl get out of the dryer vent, but the owl just nests in like a wood pile by the door of the trading post, which is not any better. They learn a little bit about owls and where they live. And ultimately, they find the owl a home in an actual tree where it's not going to be like popping out at them at every moment. The second second segment was called Bye Bye Birdie. And in it, Molly and her friend, is it Trini? I think so. Yeah. They accompany a researcher on a trip to see puffins because both Molly and Trini really love birds. They're keeping a chart about the Alaskan birds they've seen and puffins are like the only one they're missing on their list. So they go see these puffins. They help the researcher make notes about the puffins and they learn important things about puffins like baby puffins jump off a cliff to learn how to fly which is kind of scary to watch but it's just how they do it what did you think about this set I thought it was just required a fast stretch of the imagination to think that like a legitimate wildlife researcher would be convinced by two 10 year olds singing a song about puffins to take them along on her very important research trip into the wilderness because the two little girls were not good companions if your job is to like observe wildlife and not disrupt the wilderness setting yes because when the girls found out that the puffins were jumping off the cliff to learn how to fly they didn't realize that they were doing it to learn how to fly so they were trying to divert the puffins they were definitely not just impartial observers I did like in the first episode so they're trying to figure out like what kind of owl they found Mm -hmm. and I thought the way they went about like listening to the bird call and figuring out what it looks like and even like figuring out what the what the word pygmy means I thought that was very good and like nicely educational but it like integrated very well into the plot too. Oh yeah, I agree. I think that has been true across the board for all three of those these episodes. I really mm-hmm. did not find the educational components to be distracting at all. Were you entertained by the episodes that we watched? Yes, for the most part, yes. I mean, there were definitely ones that I liked more than others. The episode that was Bird in Hand and Bye Bye Birdie was probably my least favorite, but I still 
enjoyed it quite a bit. I mean, puffins are very cute. The one that I'm reaching for to compare it to is Peg Plus Cat. And that one is educational in a very blatant way. And yeah, this is educational yeah. in a very organic way. And I, I much preferred this version from an entertainment perspective. How about you? I loved it. I was totally entertained by it. I myself did not know much about Native Alaskan culture at all. How about you? No, nor did I. But I had a feeling as I was watching that it would appeal to you because you're in general a pretty outdoorsy person. I do like the outdoors. I've never been to Alaska. I would love to go to Alaska. And I got a little bit of a vicarious thrill like when they show the map of Alaska and like the different places and the mountain landscape. Definitely. Have you been reading any of these articles recently that have been talking about how tourism is bad for the world and maybe we should just stop? Yeah. Yeah. And like flying is really bad mm-hmm. and you should drive places. Yeah. If you really need to go somewhere. And it's like really the most prevalent way that people go to Alaska from the lower 48 is on a cruise ship, which is also not great. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, there was an article, I think it was in the New York Times travel section about should you travel and how if you do choose to travel, how you can not be such a jerk about it. But it's hard. Like the question is, is there Mm -hmm. any way to not either be a jerk to the people that you're interacting with or to contribute to the death of our planet? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry for that uh, little sideways detour into depressing stuff that's okay so what did you think we kind of talked already about how the educational focus like using a search engine figuring out what words mean were well really well done the one thing that did kind of pull me out of the story was the use of the search engine that is the one moment where I would kind of look from afar and say oh this is the educational component of the show now they're going to show the kids using a search engine I mean I understood why like I then I let I read an article mm-hmm. about it and I'm sorry I can't exactly cite which article it was because I don't remember but a portion of the funding for the show explicitly said that they had to address online literacy so I knew why they were using the search engine but I thought it was less well integrated than the lessons about you know word meanings and such I liked it because I felt like it was very timely but I do wonder if it will hold up over like five years from now that's the other thing are vlogs still a thing I mean I haven't heard anybody say vlog in a long time I'm not even sure that when vlogs were a thing, people were sure that they wanted to call them vlogs. I feel like they were such a flash in the pan of a thing. Maybe they should be calling it her Instagram story or something. <laughs> I know. You know those, the Neistat brothers? Mm-mm. They're they're the only content creators that I think actually call themselves vloggers. Yeah, that was kind of a bit of an inaccuracy that I saw becoming more glaring as time goes on. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What did you think about the cast? I thought Molly was super likable and the other kids super likable. And the parents were just so goddamn agreeable. I mean, he's got a really big chin. And in that Cabbagezilla one, they're like, Dad, we're building a fence. And he's like, cool. Yeah, they were given a lot of freedom as kids to explore and be outside. Mm -hmm. I thought that was great. I mean, it's probably something that's a little bit 
more part of the culture when you live in a very rural environment like they seem to but as a city girl that was nice to see I did not recognize any of the voice actors and I looked on IMDb a lot of them appear to be either Alaskan people or like other kind of new to the acting world I think it's so great that they made an effort to include Alaska natives as voice actors as well as story consultants in every aspect of the show I think it shows great intention on the part of the creators yeah I loved it what did you think about the animation I mean it was your classic hand-drawn looking that I'm sure is actually CGI now animation it was it was sweet Mm -hmm. it reminded me a little bit like the characters the way they were drawn of Dora cute but not too cute I think there's a little bit more detail than Dora actually I have to give a shout out do you listen to the podcast Latino USA I do not they just did a great episode on Dora and like Dora's impact on Latino culture in America and what she's meant and what she continues to mean it was really interesting I don't have the exact date of the episode on me but It was definitely within the last month. Uh, It was really good. Worth it to seek out. Nice. Did you like the theme song? You were singing it earlier. I know. It was very catchy. And there wasn't really a lot of other music. This wasn't a sing-songy show like some others we've watched. Yeah, it's definitely geared towards the older elementary school or definitely elementary school age. Right. Preschool shows are broken up a lot more by songs and this one was pretty much straight plot oh speaking of breaking up we haven't talked about the interstitial segments that come between the two parts of the episode where they show actual kids in Alaska doing things that the episode has addressed like after the grandpa's drum episode you saw kids using photographs to identify parts of the landscape I know you're a really big fan of those slices of real life. Yes, I forgot to mention that when we were talking about the individual episodes. I thought they were really good, and they were filmed on location in Alaska. They were relevant to the shows. They reminded me a lot of um, the Curious George interstitials. Real life kids related to the shows. Really well done. Nice and short. Yeah. So were you able to compare this to any adult movies or TV shows? You know, we've been talking about representation and I was looking back and searching my memory for other movies or TV shows that involve Native Americans, not even just people from Alaska, but from anywhere. And there just are so few. Mm-hmm. Especially where they're not like a stereotype. Right. So the one that I reached for is actually not from America, but totally charming from New Zealand. Oh, gosh, I hope it's New Zealand and not Australia, but I think it's New Zealand. The movie Whale Rider. Did you see that one? (gasps) Oh, I remember that. Yeah. So sweet. And the thing that made me link the two in my mind is it's they're both about like plucky young girls who really have an affinity for their heritage and they want to share that with everyone and that is what reminded me of it I wish that I could come up with more examples that are more explicitly the same but sadly I really couldn't how about you okay I went with a Alaska as character and I feel like I've brought this up on our podcast before but men in trees yes 
<laughs> I can't but I I really liked that show. I really liked that show too. <laughs> Um, and then also Twin Peaks, which I have never actually seen, but like I feel like one of its defining features is that it's filmed in or takes place in Alaska. It actually doesn't. It takes place in, I don't know, somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, like not Alaska. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. Scratch that. <laughs> hey, did you cast the gritty HBO reboot? I had to give myself a pass on this one just because I I couldn't do justice because I don't know enough Native American actors, let alone ones that are under 13 years old. Mm-hmm. So I feel like anyone I picked would be like, oh, yeah, she just picked like the one Native American actor she knew. Then I started feeling like a jerk. Yeah. OK, so I thought of two. OK. okay. So here in Minneapolis, there's a Indian reservation like in the city called mm-hmm. Little Earth. And it's just in the newspaper, it's just like pretty much only bad news gets reported on because there's a lot of like poverty and addiction. But there have to be some good things going on mm-hmm. there. So I would love to watch like some kind of a reality show or like a documentary about kids who live on that reservation because I would love to know more about it Mm -hmm. but something that's like funny or positive or uplifting Mm -hmm. so that's one idea and then also here in Minnesota that our lieutenant governor is Native American woman named Peggy Flanagan she's like our she's like my age she's like 39 oh wow and she has a daughter who's Libya Nate's age and I would love to watch uh fictionalized show about her and her daughter's life the daughter like popping into the like capital and seeing her mom at work wouldn't that be cute that would be really cute and like you don't see a lot of shows about like urban native americans either so i think that would be a nice addition to to this type of show yeah you did so (laughs) much better than i did well done So was it better when we were kids? No, obviously not. Obviously not. Yeah, I can only think of like images from cartoons from our youth where Native Americans are portrayed poorly. Here we have this lovely show about a girl growing up in Alaska and how important her heritage is to her. And the only example of a show I could come up with from my childhood that dealt with someone with Native American heritage was that episode of Saved by the Bell where Zach discovers that he is part Native American. Oh my gosh, it was so offensive to even think about. (laughs) Oh dear. Yeah, definitely not better when we were kids. Okay, I would totally watch this alone voluntarily. I thought it was really good. I'm really hoping that my kids will like it. I plan to show it to them soon. Agreed. It was adorable. You? I would I would watch it by myself. It made me want to be more like outdoorsy like that because I'm really not. So it was <laughs> aspirational in a way. And 10 seconds on whether this is good for our kids. Oh, yeah, for sure. I really want Jay to watch it. Yeah, I really want my kids to watch it too. I think Tony is a little bit old for it, but my first grader is definitely target market. I think this one is kind of a no-brainer, but ratings? 
Five. Yeah, five stars. Oh, what a good return to television away from YouTube. We're starting strong. Do you think we would have rated it as highly had we not spent the last three months three months watching YouTube? I mean, it was a really good show. Maybe I mean it's like we like ate ramen and macaroni and cheese all summer and then we finally had like a big healthy salad Mm -hmm. (laughs) or like if it wasn't even a big healthy salad it was like a mcdonald's salad but we were so glad to have green things (laughs) i don't know i think that that might just be selling the show short i think it was legitimately very good and even were we to go back in time three months and watch it i think we would have rated it highly (laughs) Yeah, I think it was really well done. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time 2. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your fine podcasts. You can check out our website at myscreentime2.com. And you can also still find us on Facebook to continue the conversation at facebook.com slash myscreentime2. That's also where you'll find out what we're covering in our next episode if you want to watch along with us. You can tweet us with show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments at at myscreentime2, or you can email us at myscreentime2 at gmail.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by Deborah and her adorable children, and our podcast is produced by me, Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV beloved by kids and tolerated by parents. Bye!